0: Here's the pitch, Oliver wants to throw, he's got Lance Carl open, top, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! The Buffaloes have scored on a 52 yard pass from O.C.
1: He's got three people down there, the ball's up in the air, caught, touchdown! Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown!
0: Here's the toss play up breaks a tackle, touchdown! Touchdown,
1: that's five
2: for Chris Brown! Five-step drop. Sefo Lufau wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio, Adam Monster tiger publisher of buffstampede.com. Here with my man Tyler Ziskin, fan correspondent. Tyler, this seems to be a pretty quiet first half of camp, maybe the, yeah. the most quiet I can remember at CU. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wish we had more to tell you, but we haven't had a whole lot of access,
0: it, just in general. Um, yeah, I mean, you get a few questions, obviously, to McIntyre at the end of practice, but... There's just not a whole lot of information getting out there right now. I I think that's partially a good thing and partially, hopefully, um, the fan base stays kind of active and involved with the whole process. I think people are a little nervous that they're not quite ready to take that next step yet, so there's a little bit of a disjointed interest. Uh, We'll see how that plays out once the season starts. But yeah, it's been kind of an eerie, I guess, type feeling around the program in terms of the amount of information that we're getting lately. But, I mean, from everything we've seen on the practices we have been able to go to, there's a lot of positive momentum. So, it's kind of a weird
2: situation that we're in. What's what's weird about it is every preseason there's going to be hype. There's going to be some level of excitement just because you're practicing against yourself. You're not losing football games. This might be the preseason where there's some justified reasons to maybe sip on that Kool-Aid a little bit. But because it's closed, that information just isn't quite getting out there to feed that hype. Yeah, definitely. I think because of the pra-
0: the fact that practices have been closed and just how the program has gone in the past decade, there's just kind of that res- people are just re- you know resigned to the fact that they're not that good and they don't really they're not looking for any reason to tell them otherwise at this point. I think they've been bad long enough. Um that people are just like, "Ah, it is what it is. We'll see what happens." But I think if more people had gotten access to be able to watch practice and go to a few of these games, there'd be people a lot more excited about what this team is doing. I mean, I think there's no doubt that there's a lot more talent on the field this year than we've seen on a CU football field in a while.
2: In terms of kind of the main takeaways from the first couple weeks of camp, to your point there, I think the biggest difference I noticed during those open practices was, well, I'll, I'll kind of go back. When McIntyre came in, he brought in this system. When they go to team period, it's the ones and twos on one field, and then everybody else on another field. And, I, and obviously the reason for that is you get twice as many reps in doing it that way. When McIntyre first came in, you'd look over to the secondary field, and there was a difference. There was definitely a gap there. You could tell the guys on the ones and twos were more polished. They were better. But now the difference is incredible. You, you look over on the ones and twos, and it's sharp, fast-paced, crisp football for the most part. You look over on the other side, there's fumbles, there's guys running the wrong way, there's just sloppiness happening over there. To see that difference, I think, is one of the more encouraging things, because that's the way it's supposed to be. Freshmen are supposed to come in and be swimming, mentally, physically, and it's not that they signed a bunch of bums in the class of 2016, it's just that now the difference with those veterans, and, and they know how to practice, it's polished. The difference there, I think, is the single most encouraging thing that I saw during those open practices.
0: Yeah, I would definitely not take it as the 2016 classes bums either, because there's actually quite a few of those 2016 guys on the first and second team practice field right now, especially on that second team unit. There's quite a few. Um, Yeah, I can actually, I would actually attest to this as well, in that we were, I was again at the practice on Tuesday, and they had three of the defensive starters were out just kind of getting rest and that kind of stuff, and they, plugged in three guys from the second unit and it was like they didn't really skip a beat at all. I mean, most of the time you can see right away that, oh, this person doesn't belong on the field. That wasn't happening on Tuesday. Um, and in your Hagen interview, he um, talked about Bo Bisher at not getting really a chance because the offensive lineman in the third string grouping was making it tough for him. And he was actually in that second... Um, unit grouping on Tuesday for a little while, getting a few reps, and he did look a lot better, much better than we've seen in the open practices. So that was a good sign. That wasn't just smoke from Hagen. That was actually legit. Uh, you give him a little bit of a hole, and he's running people over. He runs tough. Um, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things that, for you know, you used to be able to just see, oh, if we get hurt at this position, we're in a lot of trouble. I mean, there are some positions that we should feel a little concerned about, but for the most
2: part, there's somebody who can play football coming in behind him. Yeah, I mean, quarterback, obviously, cornerback. Now that you've kind of got a little bit more reassurance with Tony Misi going both ways and knowing even in an emergency situation, Bryce Bobo could go there, I'm not quite as concerned about safety as I was going into camp. Yeah. Uh, Any other areas? I guess linebacker a little bit, although... I do like what I see with Drew Lewis a little bit, even though he's a tad undersized. I think he moves pretty well. Yeah, I mean, aKil Jones had a great practice Tuesday as well
0: um, with somebody that was playing with the two, so I think they're expecting him to, or at least they you know, trying to get him ready to maybe get some playing time if necessary if some injuries happen. Um, at safety, again, Kyle Trago is a guy who they looked pretty confident with in that second unit. Um, maybe not a guy that you want to start a bunch of games, but much better depth than we've had in years past there for sure. Uh, Nick Fisher is a guy, again, they seem pretty comfortable with, whether in that nickel safety or in an emergency situation corner type role. So, I mean, I think those are guys that, you know, you don't want to see starting a whole bunch of games, but they're going to be a lot more talented than guys you've seen play in um, injury situations in years past.
2: The 402 combined starts on this football team really show across the board, but most specifically on the defensive line. I, we talked about this. I think uh, in our Top Buffs Countdown, maybe on a, on a podcast about the fact that this group is probably the best defensive line they've had since 2007. And I did look it up. We were a little unsure. It was a line that had Maurice Lucas, George Hippolyte, Brandon Nicholas, and also Alonzo Barrett, who was honorable mention all conference that season. This, this without question to me, I mean, and injuries could, if they start to rack up, could, could take, take from this. But I think this is going to be the best defensive line they've had in a decade. Yeah,
0: and I would agree. Um, I think people who maybe aren't as schooled in football are going to see the stats from some of these guys and be like, well, they're super overhyped. But in a 3-4 set, most of the D linemen aren't going to be making those, you know, they're not going to have big tackle numbers, they're not going to have big sack numbers, any of that kind of stuff. But for the first time in a while, we should have a formidable run front. It's been a long time we can do that. It's tough to do that with a 3-4. Um, so, but there's some big boys out there now and, uh, they're going to make it tough for offensive linemen to get to that second level, which is what you're really looking for from a three, four line.
2: Yeah. You have Jordan Carroll, who's put on, it seems like he's turned even some of that baby fat in the last year into, into solid muscle. Josh Tupo, who's just a, a, almost an immovable force in the middle of that thing. And then you've got Leo Jackson and Samson Cofavalo in that other spot. That is a legit group. That is Mm -hmm. a legit, I mean that goes up against a lot of the Pac-12 starting defensive lines. Definitely.
0: I mean, you've got guys who fit a little bit of a different mold behind them in Jace Frankie and Tim Coleman, too, who bring a little bit more of that speed um, that you'll probably see them in on third and long situations as well. And they're, they've been really good during camp as well, um, especially Coleman. Um, so, I mean, between those six, you have a really, really, really solid crew um, that I think you can rely on uh, in the fourth quarter of games, too, which we've been struggling with breaking down in the fourth quarter.
2: So. Another thing I've noticed is Mike McIntyre's demeanor. He seems less on edge this this preseason. Last year, not that, that he was really mean. He wasn't necessarily barking at the media. But he would come over, and, and you could kind of see a little bit of a stress on his face because maybe he didn't like everything he was seeing out there in practice. Now he comes over, and it seems like he's enjoying life a little bit more. And I don't know if some of that's calculated just to... You know, put on a certain front, but I really do think that Mike McIntyre has a lot more confidence in this football team than any other team he's had in Boulder.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt, and it's kind of interesting to see how calm he's been, because most people think that this is a do-or-die year for him, so you'd think he'd be even more tense than normal. Um, if I was him, I would kind of be the same way, though. I think, I think if he does get fired, I mean, outside of them having a miserable year like we don't expect at this point. I just don't think he deserves to to go. So, I mean, to me, at the worst-case scenario, he's going to leave the program in far better shape than he got it in. Um, so for him, I think that's where some of that piece is coming from. He's, he's done a really nice job of building back up uh, the program,
2: and th- there's some solid pieces moving forward, no, no matter what happens with him. Kind of basing this off our limited exposure to this football t- team during those open practices, along with maybe comments made by coaches, other players, who are some of your risers and fallers early on in camp in terms of guys that you feel have improved their spot and have maybe regressed a little bit? We'll kind of go back and forth here. Maybe just start with a guy that you see as a riser. Uh, the one that I started with was a Keller Witherspoon, which actually we haven't seen a
0: lot of comments on throughout camp. But from the people that have been there and watching it, he's done a really nice job this year. I think they that's a lot of why people have really started to talk about the secondary really taking off this year. Um, being up close to him in the last few weeks, he's gotten a lot bigger. He was always tall and rangy, but he's kind of filled out his frame a little bit. He's a, he's definitely been a lot more physical in practice. Used to be getting ran uh, run on hard by a lot of the secondary coaches for not working hard. I haven't seen that happen once this fall camp. They seem really confident with what he's going to be able to do this year. Um, and so, combined with Cheeto and Isaiah Oliver, that's three corners that you feel really
2: good about. You start to feel good about what the secondary can do. I got to mention Kyle Evans. Darian yeah. Hagan told me that. Not that Kyle Evans is their most talented back by any stretch, but he said that in terms of guys doing their job and doing it at a high level, he might be having the best preseason of all those guys. And though the first couple open practices before the scrimmage were very early on in camp, and he was already working on that main field, which kind of caught my attention at that point. And then uh, he's continued to, to use that momentum. He's with Patrick Carr leaving the program a really nice depth piece to have there you don't necessarily need like you you got to force somebody into that role yeah
0: definitely I mean he's a guy who in the interview again they compared to Rodney Stewart I I don't really love that outside of the fact that he's really small and hard to find behind the line they're going to be a little different in that Rodney was a quick guy and Kyle Evans I think is gonna you know kind of sneak up on you he's gonna be on you before you know what happens and he's gonna run through you a little bit more um He's he's much stockier, I guess I would say. Um, he's, he's somebody that, yeah, I mean, as a fourth back, he's really going to help you. I, and I think on special teams, they're using him quite a bit um, on return situations. So he's definitely going to play, so people should get used to that fact. And I wouldn't be nervous about it. He's pretty solid. You got another riser for us? Um, yeah, so I had a few other ones. The next one I had on the list was Tim Coleman.
2: I have um, him on my list as well.
0: Yeah, a guy that I think... Has really battled injuries his whole career here, and I think has finally found a spot that he's really comfortable in. In that backup inside role, um, he's gonna. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Provide a little different dynamic to that defensive line. I think he could have a chance to be our best pass rusher in those three defensive line
2: units. What about Diego Gonzalez? He's been great in camp, but we'll see how he does in games. I mean, but well, yeah, he was he was kind of inconsistent in practice before. Yeah, there there are some of the guys that will be really good in practice and then really struggle in games. There are some people that just aren't super consistent in practice, and that's why we were really concerned about place kicker going into last year. We kind of warned people, and, of course, Diego comes out, and he's great early on in the season, and then they keep getting stuck on that left hash when he comes out there, and that's when the issue came in. They did bring in a kicking specialist, which I think Mm -hmm. is big, and it's kind of crazy. You go from having a full-time special teams coach where you would think that would be like, what they would do, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> such is life.
0: Uh, I will say I haven't seen him miss once. So I mean, that's a pretty good sign. And he's not—he's—he's he's got some pop in his leg too. I mean, everything that he's hitting is like destroying through the uprights. Yeah. Like there's there there aren't a whole lot of them that are really weakening their way across the goalposts.
2: So even though a lot of the makes last year, especially the extra points, it was really low his uh, catch too. He's seemingly yeah, no, improved that as well. Definitely. Sam Neuer, I have on my list. Yeah, I was, he's on mine too. You know, we talked a lot about, okay, Sam Neuer played against this competition in Oregon that wasn't very good in high school. He looks good, but again, the competition level, it's hard to know exactly what they're getting. This kid gets the ball out really quick, very quick release, very accurate in what we've seen, and he's working behind those third-string O-linemen that we saw Steven Montez had to play behind last preseason, and it's really hard to look good with that group.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say don't get too crazy about what we're saying here. He's
2: not it's, starting anytime. He's
0: soon. not starting. He's probably he's not going to pass Montez either. At least not this season, in my eyes. Um, but he's a lot better than I think we all gave him credit for coming in, which is a great sign. I mean, you feel a lot better about the quarterback depth once cepho has gone. I mean, it was kind of we always thought it was like, oh, it's Montez or nothing. Um, we're going to have a battle there, which is a good thing because Montez has been pretty good in his own right, I think, so far in camp. Um, and we'll obviously see if Tyler Laddle ends up a buff shows up. Um, here, as we all expect, I think
2: you've got three guys that you feel pretty confident about. And another, I kind of put this in, in, in a whole group, and it's Juwan Winfrey, Bryce Bobo, KBN Ento, and Johnny Huntley, just in terms of, we've got. are we getting bombed here? <laughs> Fighter jets going over the house <laughs> right now, sorry. But those four guys at receiver, and Huntley might be a little bit of a stretch in there, but just in, from a physicality mm-hmm. standpoint for a freshman coming in, They've got some big receivers that are, are making plays out there on a consistent basis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know if we have a Nelson Spruce on their roster this year. We'll
0: find out. Uh, we have two guys who are really confident, but we definitely have the deepest group that I can remember seeing at CU from the wide receivers. Uh, my last one was Aaron Hagler, um, yeah. a guy that has changed positions, came in really small, not somebody we really expected to push for starting time right away in camp, and he's already doing that. A guy, he's a guy they're looking at at right tackle with Sam H um we'll see how that plays out but they're definitely giving him a lot of coaching they want him to be ready even if he's not starting this year so I think he's a guy that you're going to see starting at tackle
2: sometime in the future for CU for sure yeah and it could happen this year he's about 275 right now and you hear the defensive lineman talk about how he's one of the stronger offensive linemen it makes you wonder what he's going to be like when he gets up to that 295 300 he should be a force there on the offensive line and uh I guess that, that transitions us into the followers, guys that have, have not helped themselves out here early on during camp. And Tyler, death, taxes, and Mike Ladkin's getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a guarantee in life, it seems. Yeah, definitely. He, he was
0: um, doing some drill stuff on Tuesday, so I don't think it's a significant injury for him, but it almost never seems like it is yet. He's always missing time. Uh, again, it's at a position that you feel comfortable losing a guy at um, running back. Got some talent there. It's frustrating because he's really good when he's healthy. It just doesn't seem to be a whole lot. Um, again, kind of talking about the Hagler stuff for me, I have Shane Callahan as a guy who's dropping somebody I think most people expected to start this year. Doesn't really look like that's going to be the case right now. Uh, will be a solid depth piece. Practicing more at left tackle. Um, we'll see how that works out, but uh, definitely hasn't turned into what we expected when he transferred in from Oregon. I mean, wow, Auburn.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to kind of go off my risers with Winfrey, Bobo, Into and Huntley, I went with followers Justin Jan and Lee Walker. It seems like they might have recruited over both of those guys. Definitely Justin Jan, I just from an explosive standpoint. I think Lee Walker might always have kind of a chance to get on the field because he's got that speed factor. Mm-hmm. But Justin Jan, seems like it seems like they recruited over him. Yeah, Walker's probably, still probably the fastest wide receiver on the team, so they'll probably yeah.
0: try to find a, um, a set or two to get him into. Yeah, Jan, though, we haven't seen him do much in camp not sure that's going to change unless they try to slide him into that tight end role, maybe sit him behind Dylan Keeney, but from what we've seen, he's not really standing out. I'm kind of similar for me. Not that there's anything crazy to be concerned about, but I haven't seen Shea Fields do a whole lot in camp. They're they're not giving him a whole lot of reps. They're letting a lot of the new guys take some of these reps. you know we've seen what he can do on the field when he's healthy so it's not really concerning to me at all it's I would just like he hasn't stood out to me in the practices that, I was, that I've seen so we'll see
2: it's kind of a guy that I'll be watching during the season to see how good he really looks yeah, yeah I think, think part of that is just his work. reps are probably a little bit limited in yeah. and, and that, I think this is the right thing to do with certain guys you know what you can get out of them is to not push them during camp and that's something that they've they've tried to do in the past and um, it, it's kind of a new way of doing it in, in football. Like it's it's pretty common. You wanna, if you you got a guy that's uh, proven himself, to preserve him a little bit. Um, that, that was all I had for falers at this point. Do you have anybody else? Nope, that was it for me as well. All right. Well, we're gonna get into some camp headlines. Just kind of recap some of the main things that have happened. Again, not a lot of earth shattering stuff. And then after that, we're gonna have an exclusive camp interview here on the podcast with defensive lineman Leo Jackson. After that, we'll get into the Buff Stampede mailbag, answer some questions that we got from Twitter, and then we'll finish up with some odds and ends. We got we got to talk about Nelson Spruce and Emma Colburn and Emily Simpson and uh, the great things that they did in the Olympics. Jenny Simpson. What did I say? Emily Simpson. <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> you deserve better than that, Jenny. Yeah, you do. We love you. All right, camp headlines. Let's start here. NJ Follow suspended for the first three games, about kind of what we expected, so he'll be – in the mix throughout their conference slate. And uh, one of the concerns when we were going down the depth chart before camp was at outside linebacker. NJ Follow being in the mix, at least for a conference play, is a big deal. Dino Gordon, his status is yet to be determined. I would imagine maybe he gets more than three games, especially since they haven't announced it yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me that they haven't announced it. I don't really know. I'm assuming they're waiting for something to go through or see what he can finish. I'm sure he had some stuff that he was obligated to go through before they told him exactly what his punishment was going to be, so maybe he's still working through that. NJ being three games is honestly a bonus for me. When this first happened, I thought they were both going to be gone from the program, so to be able to get both of those guys back is probably... Um, a nice surprise for all of us. Hopefully, they stay out the of trouble in the future. Um, NJ coming back for conference play is big, as you said. Uh, more outside linebacker depth. Uh, Dino Gordon this year, I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of reps one way or the other, so not as big of a deal. Um, looks like he's got to get back into shape a little bit not as well. He hasn't
2: been able to practice, so no surprise there. When I was talking with Hagen about Dino Gordon, he talked about just kind of his focus needs to be better than what it's been. So. He's very much a work in progress, but a guy that they obviously don't want to give up on. I think might be one of those guys when it's he's like a redshirt junior, the light bulb hopefully turns on for him and he becomes – but he will be, I think, a special teams contributor. He did some of that last year uh, if he is eligible to play at all this year. Tyler Hennington decided to give up football. This is something that broke right at the beginning of the camp. And just a guy that not only did he have the injury issues the last couple of years, but a guy that just didn't seem to fit into this new defensive scheme. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually
0: glad that he did in, in the sense that he's battled through a lot, and I don't think he's really fully himself anymore. Um, you always worry about those guys who are playing just to prove a point when really they're not healthy enough to do so anymore. And I kind of felt like that might have been what was happening with him. Um, yeah, and it, the defensive scheme just, just not for him anymore. So I was actually happy to see him kind of get out of it with more or less his health intact. I mean, though. You know he can go work on other things that he wants to do with his life, and not have to worry about all these injuries
2: he's gone through. I said I, I thought Sefa Lufa was fine. You didn't need to limit him at all during camp, and that's been kind of how it's played out. No issues, no setbacks at all. Really, now it's all about can Sefa work off the rust? There's really no more talk about the foot anymore. We're really not concerned about that. No, yeah, I mean he and a couple people have said Tuesday
0: was his best practice. He looked pretty comfortable to me. Um, I've seen him better. For sure, but I mean he's this is probably in limited reps that we've seen in these four practices that have been open for me. Um he's looked as good as he ever has here, in my opinion. So as long as he stays healthy and leads these boys, I, I think we'll see a
2: pretty successful season from him. He's always seemed to kinda of up his play a little bit in games too. He did have a decent camp last year and that's what made a lot of us optimistic until he hurt his shoulder early in the season. But, uh, yeah, I've never really put him under much of a microscope in practice. You kind of know what you get with Cepho at this point. You, you thought that they should really roll with him in that that running role that he did so well as a running quarterback last year. Talking with Brian Lindgren, it seems like they plan to not really hold him back a whole lot. And Yeah, I mean, they you know, especially if they
0: run, you know, they get the guards they want in there starting, a little more of a road grader type situation. I think they feel like they can keep him healthy, Um I don't see any reason not to do it at this point. I mean, They might want to slow it up a little because the offense is going to change and you'll see more running backs, I think, get the ball.
2: Um, but I think they'll still use him, and I think they should. Bryce Bobo was going both ways at the very beginning of camp, and uh, he settled back in at receiver and has been doing really well in that role, had a good scrimmage on Tuesday. Is the light bulb turned on for him? We'll see. I, I don't know if the jury's quite out on that quite yet, but I think – Early on in camp, it was more a situation if they get injuries building up at safety. He's at least got a little bit of practice time in that role. Yep, I mean, I was at that scrimmage on Tuesday that
0: we've been talking about uh, through the notes and on the board the last couple of days. And he had two touchdown passes that or catches, should I say, that were both really fantastic, one right over the DB, one with a nice grab in the corner. Um, he's been good, man. So I think that's probably why they settled him back into that wide receiver role. He's been really comfortable there. Um, and hopefully they use him because it seems like when he gets out in space, he can really do some pretty amazing things. So I'd like to see
2: him see the ball more this year for sure. People pronounced his name Anthony Jomisi when he was a recruit. Now he's Tony, and you got to pronounce his, his last name right now, everybody, because this kid can play. It's Jomis, no, no, easy at the end of it. It's like it's like the plural of moose, <laughs> right? Go. Isn't that Meese? Yeah, Tony Jomisi. <laughs> He's a stud, man. He's going both he's ways. Is, is, is he going to play safety? Is he going to play receiver? We don't know yet, and I think injuries will dictate that. Yeah, um, he's very similar body type to what you see from most of
0: our guys in the secondary right now, so they definitely like him in that role. Um, really long, longer than I was expecting before he got on campus. He's been really successful in both roles. Uh, he's done a good job at a couple long touchdowns as a wide receiver. He seems really fluid, really comfortable backpedaling as well in the secondary. So, um, corner sec- corner safety, whatever they want to put him, he looks really confident. Um, he's probably the, he's going to play this year. I'm, I'm about as confident as that as I am in anything else.
2: McIntyre, who does not like talking about freshmen, it yeah. even admits that. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I think you'll see him out there, um,
2: and you'll be impressed. He's good. We could get a few more of them Florida boys. That would be good based on what he, we've seen so far. Yeah, if you just envision what like a pure Florida athlete looks like, that's what Tony Meese is. So fluid out there. Yep. Kyle Evans placed on scholarship. We talked about him a little bit earlier, of course. I'm sure everyone's seen the video by now of him thinking that he's in trouble and all of a sudden uh, the, the team jumps on him, basically. That was cool. Th- those are some of the best moments of camp, for sure, when guys get placed on scholarship. Yeah,
0: definitely. And, I mean, obviously he's well-liked based on the reaction from the team, which is, you know, you, those guys who work hard for you for however many years they're on the team and get – Get um, get honored with a scholarship like that, I and mean, that's got to feel good for the team. It's good for him. I mean, you always want to be able to see those guys get rewarded.
2: You think of like Walk-On, you think of Rudy and scrawny somebody. <laughs> then you walk up to Kyle Evans, and yeah, he's super short. He's 5'6", but dude, has muscles on muscles. He is jacked. Yeah, definitely. No major injuries so far. <laughs> and this is a wood table, so we're, yeah. we're all set there. Let's jump into our interview with Leo Jackson. I think it's pretty insightful. He's a very charismatic kid, one of my favorite guys on the team to talk to. Junior, defensive lineman, played a lot of snaps last year. Here's what he had to say. Here with Leo Jackson. Leo, uh, how is camp going for
1: you so far? It's going well. It's a lot easier, a lot more calmer than it was last year. You know, uh, coach is giving us a little break and letting us rest a little bit. We're still going hard on the days we need to when we're in full pads and everything. So it's going pretty well.
2: What have been kind of the points of emphasis from Coach Jeff Jeffcoat,
1: the defensive staff, for, for you and the D-line uh, th- this preseason? Probably more physicality. More physicality and not missing tackles. Playing on the, um, the offensive side of the ball. And mainly, yeah, just not missing tackles because we had a lot of that last year and being more physical.
2: You can only go live so much in practice. How do you improve on tackling
1: knowing that you can, there's only so many you know times you can hit other guys? Mainly, it's just focusing on every rep that you do have, or every opportunity that you do have to tackle. Even though you have so few, it's mostly just focusing on your technique and trusting your coaching. You played 586 snaps
2: last season. You missed a game, but still had the second most snaps among the D lineman. What did you learn throughout that experience last year?
1: Ah, uh, let's see. It's a lot different. Pac-12 is a lot different from JUCO. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, like I uh, got to be more physical. You know, being down there. In the trenches and everything is a different, different, different ballpark.
2: Well, you played at Foothill College a freshman year, and then you had to redshirt the next year. I expected you'd have some rust last year. It didn't seem like you had a ton of it. Did you feel any of that rust? The fact that you had to kind of take a year off from from playing football?
1: Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, the first couple of games was mainly mainly just me getting into it, but um, I felt like I got a little bit better as the season wore on. So yeah, adjusted pretty well. As you got
2: later in the season, and felt like you were playing well. Did that kind of give you a shot of confidence as, as a football player at this
1: level? Oh, yeah, definitely. It definitely gave me a shot of confidence. It made me you know, uh, you know, see that I can really play and um, you know know what I need to work on as well to get even better, to be more of a force. Have
2: you been working mostly with the first-team defensive line? What's kind of been the, the situation in terms of your reps th- this preseason?
1: Uh, pretty much. I mean, uh, I was on the second team at one point, and then just recently I moved up to the first team, so I'm back with the ones now. Kind of rotating with
2: Samson Kafavalu is that mm-hmm. kind of your competition
1: in that spot? Uh, it's not more, much competition. It's more like uh, rotation as far as getting us breath. That's the main thing. Is because we, we we're in a, uh, basically a tempo league, and you know we need to be able to get to maximize the reps that the guys are in there quality reps and so that's but it's mainly about just getting the right people on the field it's not really that much about competition
2: they're still working to cultivate the depth in some spots on this roster but defensive line it seems like this year kind of for the first time in a while around here that you guys have quite a few
1: bodies it, it, does it feel like that as a player on that d-line oh definitely we have a lot more bodies i mean we, we can right now i can i can see us having at least two and a half maybe three deep at d-line which is very good as opposed to what we had last year you know and um I think it'll take a lot of pressure, but we'll also be able to put pressure on other teams. As a big side, as an upside to it. So yeah. Who are the other guys on the D-line that have really impressed you this preseason? Uh let's see. Tim Coleman, definitely. Uh, Samson's, you know, doing his thing. Uh Tupo coming back has been extremely impressive and extremely taking a load off of all of us. Um, Jace Frankie's been doing good. Brett Tons, pretty much everyone that's on the D-line, even, even the little freshman that we got coming in, we got coming in to reek. He's been uh, putting in some work as well. So, I mean, it's, it, everyone's been impressed, and I love the attitude that everyone's brought as far as just working and getting better.
2: Any individual offensive linemen that you've seen improvement out of uh, during your time here? Uh, individual
1: offensive linemen? Uh, Aaron Hagler. Okay. Aaron Hagler, definitely. Definitely. He's he's improved a lot as far as being a freshman last year and coming up. Yeah, he's. I say watch out for him. Is he kind of wiry strong? He doesn't look... Like a prototypical Pac 12
2: offensive yeah. lineman, quite
1: yet? Yeah, not, not yet, but he is. And he's working, he's more of a working right now on his technician, or working on his technique, as I might say, um, as far as getting that down. It makes it a little bit more of a challenge when you're going up against him, which is good. You won the uh, Dick Anderson
2: Toughness Award in the spring, the Iron Buffalo Award as well. Uh, What what did you do to
1: to get those awards, just put in a lot of hard work in in, in the gym? Did you expect to get those awards? No, not at all. I didn't even know I had the Dick Anderson Award until later on, uh, a couple months later. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is, is just coming in and just putting in a lot of work, just putting my head down and just trying to grind and, you know, make myself known here. You're a, a
2: self-described late bloomer. Yeah. You're 6 about two eighty now. Uh, two seventy-five, yeah. Uh-huh. When did you kind of hit this, you know, this growth spurt or this development to, you know,
1: get to the point where you are now? Uh, let's see. The growth spurt happened right after high school, as far as height-wise. But I mean, as far as like the size and everything, I think that animal came maybe uh, my second year out of high school when I started training before I went to my junior college. I would say that's when the, the training really began.
2: Could you have envisioned when you ended high school that
1: you'd be, uh, you know, a Pac-12 starting defense lineman? Not Pac-12, but I envisioned being somewhere on D1, you know, even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted to at the first, you know, at first. But, I mean, definitely, I mean, the hard work has paid off, and I can definitely see, like, a lot of things are going on right now. I can really see clearly now. Uh, Darian Rakestraw and Ronnie Blackman come in from Georgia.
2: Uh, they join you and Afalabe Laguda, who's from Georgia as well. So I think you got four Georgia guys on the team now. Is that yeah. nice to uh-huh. kind
1: of relate with those guys? Yeah, definitely, definitely. To get some get some people from the South down here, we definitely need. You know, we need a need a bit more variety of culture and everything. I think it, it brings the team together a different way when you see everyone from different places. Do you, do you get in Charles Clarcier about guys back home that he needs to take a look at? Oh, sometimes. I mostly make jokes about it, about we, we should go in there, you know, recruit down south some more, talk junk every now and then. It says in your bio that soccer's your your second favorite sport. Is that still the case? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, I played that sport when I was younger. You know, before I outgrew my soccer body, and um, you know I just love the sport and I you know I st- still keep up with it right now, as far as watching everything, play it every now and then. When you get out there now, six-two-two seventy-five, I would imagine guys kind of get out of your way, right? <laughs> For the most part. I mean, when we go in the wreck and everything, some of the guys are up there. When a couple of uh, us football players go in there, they're like, wow, you guys are pretty quick and a lot. You really don't look like soccer players, but you actually move pretty well as well. So, I mean, it's, it's a compliment, and it helps as well. I like, you know, doing things that you know, are different as well, working different muscles. So, yeah, it's pretty fun.
2: I've also got to ask you, it says, uh, your bio says you like trying new extreme sports. What mm-hmm. What are some of the extreme sports that you're involved in?
1: Uh, let's see. When I was younger, uh, I used to do, um, I had a friend that used to do dirt biking. I started that. That was before I started getting serious with football. Um, used to skateboard. um now I'm thinking about you know uh, in some spare time trying a little rock climbing, maybe doing some base jumping stuff like that. So I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of uh, an adrenaline junkie when you say it. So you know,
2: some of that yeah. stuff on hold here in oh, terms definitely, of <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely. I don't think Coach would go too well if he saw that on Twitter or something like that, or found out about me doing some stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think he would go too well. And
2: before I let you get out of here, goals for for 2016, both you know team wise and individually.
1: Uh, I say team wise is for us to come, um, you know, of course the Pac-12 championship, but I think as far as uh, Uh, first, as a basis for us, we need to come together more as a team, even more than we are now. And, um, you know, just we we just need to lean on each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder. You know, that's basically what we need to do as a team in order for us to take that next step. And as far as individually, I think that I just need to focus on, you know, uh, my techniques and harnessing uh, my skills and really, you know, honing in on them and focusing more so that way I can, you know, help out my team as well. Thanks, Leo. Appreciate Uh, it. Thank you.
2: Well, there was a little cameo appearance there by Clayton Adams, one of his daughters. They, they like to get up in the mix in these post-practice interviews. They're really cute girls. They, they run around there after practice. Uh, so that's who was screaming there at the end of that interview. <laughs> Let's jump into our Buff Stampede mailbag. This time, I usually like to send it out, uh, put it out to the Stampede Elite message board on buffstampede.com for questions. This time, mixed it up a little bit, went out to Twitter. So here we go.
1: It's time to dive
2: into the Buff Stampede radio mailbag which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. At Buffalo 13, asked, Is Cron Sage the best option opposite Jeremy Irwin? Callahan, maybe? Or anyone else looking like they're close? Yeah, definitely the guy that's close there is somebody you mentioned earlier, Tyler, Aaron Hagler. It's, it was seeming to be a 1A, 1B situation. I was kind of surprised in the open scrimmage that Kron Sage got all the one reps. And it might just have been that day. They might just rotate them you know, every other day. Uh, it's hard to get a feel for which of those guys is leading at this point. Yeah, they had
0: Kron Sage out there with the ones when I was there on Tuesday as well. They did rotate Hagler in there for one series. Um but that was it. So I think right now they're feeling the most comfortable with Kron Sage. But they're definitely pushing Hagler to um, fight for that spot as well. I mean, he's obviously a redshirt freshman, so he's got a lot of time. But those are the two I think you'll – got to feel pretty confident at least one of those two will be out there um, on September 2nd.
2: Well, a little bit of a dilemma in the fact that Kron Sage has some of the game experience. And uh, this is such a critical year for the program. On the other hand, Hagler's so much potential – if it's close, does Ty go to youth, or does Ty go to experience? It's going
0: to be tough. I mean, it's obviously an important position for the offense. Um, I think probably you start with the experience first, and if it works out, you run with that for a year. Um, if it doesn't, I mean, uh, ideally you'd get one of those guys to slide over to the left side once Jeremy Irwin is gone. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I, th- I think if if Krontage is ahead, um, obviously not way ahead, but somewhat ahead. I think they'll probably go with him, especially for CSU. That's an important matchup, obviously, for the sake of the program. So I think you start with that. And then going into Idaho State that second week, you're going to be able to play both of those guys a lot of snaps, hopefully. I'm fine with them
2: both playing in that game, but generally, I hate the thought of rotating offensive linemen. I didn't like it when they did it with Huckins and Callahan last year. I think you stunt the the growth of both guys, rather getting one just really experienced and, and ready to take that that next step as a player. So hopefully they don't do that. I don't like that rotating offensive lineman. But for Idaho State, I'd be fine with it. At Old School Buff, wants to know about shotgun snaps. He says the the, the snaps at Sefo's knees are still a problem, and he wants to know what's being done to improve. I'm trying to think in the scrimmage. Was there a lot of issues with that? I can't remember any. Not
0: that them. I noticed. There was, he
2: Actually, had, Kelly
0: had one high snap on Tuesday. Um, that Sefo did a nice job of grabbing. That got him yelled at pretty good, but... I haven't noticed a whole lot of snap issues in the other three practices outside of that.
2: I know there was one day where all the guys that spend time with reps at doing reps at center were all practicing their snaps for a really long time. It was clear that that was an issue that day in practice. Aside from just repetitions, I don't think there's really any way to fix the issue. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a repetition thing. At Kaufman, Kevin, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, I don't. He, he probably hasn't listened to our, to our podcast before, so I'm going to be kind and gentle to you, Kevin, but I don't like your question. He asked, <laughs> is Jay McIntyre really a legitimate Pac-12 slot receiver, or, or is this a case of nepotism a la Hawkins? You want to lead off here, Tyler? I'm going to be less nice. I don't should like should your I, should I question. Should I lead off yeah, then? sure. Fine. Well, if you've been to a practice or multiple practices, you know Jay McIntyre can play football. He did struggle at times in games with blocking. He's a shirt freshman. I think if he wasn't the coach's kid, he would maybe get a little bit more of a pass on that. Kid doesn't drop passes in practice. He's maybe the hardest working kid out there. And he's good. And Darren Ciaverini, uh is the new receivers coach. And it's not a case where McIntyre's, Mike McIntyre saying, hey, you got to play my kid. Darren Cheverini flat out says this kid can, can ball. He's a really good backup slot receiver.
0: Yeah, um, so this is the last time I'm going to answer this question. <laughs> so listen up, everybody. Jay McIntyre's good. He catches everything. He leaves the field later than every single other kid on the team. You just li- just show up to one practice one time, and this question will never get asked again. Seriously, show up. He's good. He's, he deserves a scholarship. He's going to play this year, and he's probably going to be the partner turner. So you might as well get used to it now. That is all.
2: All right. I think that answers that. we got a, a whole slew of questions from at Aaron 303 He was uh, wanting to know about a whole lot of stuff here. We'll start out with this question. Is the Rocky Mountain Showdown the biggest game of Mike McIntyre's career? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Uh, yes. I would, I would say you don't want to lose
0: that one to start off the year for sure. That is not going to be the first step you want to take this season, um, especially given... Uh, I think most people feel like we've separated from them talent-wise a little bit this year. It's going to be we're going to be favored by more than we have been in quite some time.
2: Um, so yeah, this would not be one to uh, screw up on. And also, anytime you're a program that has struggled in the past, there is definitely the mental side of it. You're dealing, you've got 18 to 22 year old guys on your team. You never want them. To go back in that dark place mentally that they've had to unfortunately the last few years go go to a lot with close losses in all these Pac-12 games. You want them getting some of that momentum early in the season. That's why the Hawaii loss last year was just so tough for this football program to re- rebound from. And uh, I just I don't even want to see what the message boards are going to look like if something happened in that Rocky Mountain showdown and they don't win that football game. I might just have to go on sabbatical and go into hiding for a while. <laughs> You just leave it to me for three weeks. <laughs> I'll be back when conference play starts. <laughs> he also asked, "What is the truth on 44 right now?" Of course, 44 is Addison Gillum's number. It's not like a cover-up thing. I mean, McIntyre said back in late June when I talked to him that they were going to treat him like an NFL veteran. I see Tyler. You've got the look on your face like you're not going to even want to talk about this. I know we know your thoughts about Addison Gillum. <laughs> um, I was a little concerned when I interviewed Addison Gillum, and he said that going into camp early on, he was still having his knee swell up a little bit. This was an MCL injury. This was not an ACL injury, and the injury occurred with three games into the two games or three games, three, yeah, three games into the 2015 season. That's concerning for sure. I mean, I ruptured my Achilles, which is one of the worst injuries. A year later, I was fine. It wasn't swelling up anymore, so the fact that an MCL wasn't 100% recovered for camp is, is not what you want to hear, but uh, the whole plan was to limit him anyways. Addison Gillum did tell me, and this was last week, that he was already feeling 10 times better than he did at the start of camp, so there's that.
0: Yeah. Um, what I will say is that he has gained a lot of weight, so I was... I was skeptical that that was actually going to be the case before camp started, and I can say four practices in, he is quite a bit heavier than he was, which and not in a bad way. So obviously he's healthy enough to have been working out hard and getting his body back right. So from that perspective, that's awesome. However, all four practices that we were at, he did not do live hitting drills. But
2: again, that was the plan. Yeah. It's not because he was just you know, I I like just that. wonder
0: why it's always the ones that we're allowed to be at, more than anything else. Um... From everything that people who are at practice every day have said, he is hitting on those other
2: days and looks fine. But I would like to see it for myself. I'm going to say it right now, Tyler. Addison Gillum is going to lead this football team in tackles this season. Okay,
0: so if that happens, we're going to be
2: good. I'll say that, especially on
0: defense. If, If he's healthy for all 12 games, this defense looks a lot different than without him out there.
2: I think I might be the last person that has faith in him, but... I'm hanging in there. I respect you.
0: Got to stick on the bandwagon until it floats off the dock and into the ocean.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving along. Our, Our guy Aaron Lott also wanted to know, will Josh Tupo be in football shape by the Rocky Mountain Showdown? That's a good thing, I think, about camp is it is so long and so grueling. For a guy like... It's tough for a guy like Aaron Hengler, who you try to put weight on. You're, like, worried because it's hard not to lose weight during camp. A guy like Josh Tupo is naturally going to lose some of that weight. And the dude just naturally carries a lot of weight really well. He's in a yeah. nose tackle role where you're eating blockers in the, in the first place. I think it'll be fine. I, I, it's Maybe not ideal shape, like if he had been in the program and never left. But then he wouldn't be here still. So uh, I think that he's going to be just fine. in Let's be honest, Justin Solis was never the most in-shape guy, and he played a lot of snaps last year in that role. Yeah, I mean, they
0: haven't been subbing him out in live scrimmages or anything in practice. He doesn't look that out of shape to me. I mean, he's obviously massive, but that's what you want from your nose tackle. I mean, it's not he doesn't seem like he's struggling out there. He's doing a good job, so for me, I feel pretty confident in him, or, in him already to be able to play a bunch of snaps. What's good for us is that if, if he doesn't, we have guys that we can rotate in there as well. I mean, no one no one is his size, for sure, but you're gonna, the defense will look a little bit different, but we've got depth there too. So for me, he's not a concern at all right now.
2: Another question here, what game day traditions or rituals do you both have? Well, I'll start, mine are really boring because I'm media, so (laughs) basically my ritual is to make sure that I get to the stadium more than two hours before the game so I can just avoid all the the people and get in in there and get settled in, read over the press notes and go to work. So I was thinking about this.
0: There's actually one that we do that's really lame but I'm going to say it anyways. I look forward saying to saying it out loud. So me and my buddies who always do the tailgate together for every game, It's us, there are four of us that do um, that. set it up every single week. And every time when we wake up, the first person to get up sings the first line of the, of the fight song on their phone, and the next person gets up, and you know we do the next part until you get all the way through it. So that's a little lame probably, but I think it's <laughs> awesome. Um, so that kind of gets you in the mood every day. Um and then, like, we talked about this a little bit already, that we do the tailgate. Um, we usually do it near the law building, bring the TV. We've got a TV, so that's a big deal for us. Food, get everybody, having a good time. Um, sit in the student section most of the time, I would say, just because we like the atmosphere over there. Um,
2: no lucky just, shirt or anything like no,
0: that? No, no lucky shirt for me. No lucky shirt. I, I, so, I, that I do have the shoes, though. So, if you don't know about my shoes... If you've never seen them before, they're Nike Dunks, Air Dunks, and they're black and gold, and they are awesome. Never seen another pair like them before. I've had them for 10, those will be ten years—and I still wear them to every game. So I guess the they only get have, worn
2: on game days. Is yeah, that pretty, how you well, not these bad boys. Not only, but pretty much, pretty okay. close. But it's got to be a special occasion. Yeah. Now, what if it's snowing out and there's going to be mud? It doesn't matter. Oh, you're still wearing them? Okay. Yep. I'll clean them up. All right. Any other com? What kind of what kind of spread you guys have? Oh, we try to
0: switch it up. So sometimes I'll bring food from Blake Street. Sometimes we'll cook up burgers. Sometimes, depending on the time of the game, sometimes we do breakfast. uh, Do some you know, champagne mimosa type situations. We'll do some breakfast shots. Whatever we got going on. We try to we try
2: to not do the same thing every week. Were you guys part of the crew during the John Embry era when the games were so bad that we're, where fans would leave at halftime and never come back? No. Were you ever part of that crew? No, I've never. I can only think of, like, two or three
0: games that I've left early um, ever. Do you remember and which games they were? No. I mean, if I thought about it, I'm sure I could come up with something. One of them was not this past Oregon year, but a previous Oregon year I left at halftime once, I remember.
2: They, I forget which one it was, <laughs> but the, it was, like, 70-0 to <laughs> well yeah they were they were covering like 38 point spreads yeah. in the first quarter yeah. and a half one of those
0: games i did leave early um and i think i left once i left on homecoming early as well because i had a bunch of buddies in town that don't care about his football as much as me and they convinced me to leave and the score ended up being awful so i wasn't that mad by the end but i was pissed at the time
2: he also wanted to know our favorite cu football uniform combos i like most of them I'd say my number one and it's kind of a boring answer here. I just like the stormtrooper look. It's really clean. Yeah, mine's black helmets, silver jerseys, black pants. Those are Oh, that's list. what there's only three that I don't like, and that's that on that list. Oh really? No. It's kind know. of interesting how polarizing this is. Yeah. I don't know. I like those a lot. Okay. The all blacks are cool. But I don't I can't think of one off the top of my head that I really don't like. What
0: about uh black white black? I don't like no, that. Oh, I think that would probably be alright. See, so yeah, I think that was the one that Ryan Koningsberg hated last year, and I think he's come around on that one as well. Okay, I still don't I think, like it. I think you you would have to do, like, gold pants, white jersey, I don't know, white helmet maybe for me to be like, that's kind of weird. Something that they probably would never put together. I haven't hated any of them yet.
2: Black, white, gold would look ugly if they did that. Yeah, that'd be kind of weird. Yeah. I, I really like the silver white silver look. I also like the silver white white look. I I guess more my I like clean like uniforms that look like you know they they match. Uh, and then the classic of course is all, is cool. And then I like the all silver as well. So I like most of the combinations. Just the one you like the most happens to be one of the ones I don't like. That's so. probably actually a good thing for me. I would like <laughs> us to be different in what we like on uniform slack. Like. <laughs> all right. All right. At Bama Winnie. Oh, this is a good one. Why does the new Cam the Ram look like he escaped from the petting zoo? (laughs) You know know, the answer to that. (laughs) What's funny is, and I felt kind of bad, Ryan and I in our preview video for the CSU game last year were joking around about how pathetic Cam the Ram is and how he's got sad eyes. And then the poor little guy passes away on the eve of the game, man. I felt kind of bad. Um, he, He definitely, the old Cam the Ram had really sad eyes. You just wanted to get kind of give him a hug. This new Cam, the Ram, is kind of cute, man. Um, I honestly haven't seen this picture yet. He does look but, like he's escaped from a petting zoo because he looks like the kind of pet you want to go up is to. Is he and, a baby pet, or is he full? Yeah, he's, well, he's he's pretty big, but he's got like a, a more youthful like face than, than the old Cam, the Ram, that looked a little beat up. Okay, well, I'm not going to give
0: this Ram any love. so. Well, he probably did come from a petting zoo.
2: He definitely didn't come from Ted Turner it's no Ralphie. I like Cam the Ram. I will say it's really unfair to him to trot him out there on that field after <laughs> Ralphie runs. I mean, seriously? I'm not going to tell you what I'm about to
0: say, but just wait until my Freeballing podcast, what he just said, is going to come up when we do the C U C S U preview, and I think you will enjoy it.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. That's all I've got. If you just like had him hang out on the sidelines, it's great. But to actually treat him like a majestic beast like Ralphie is, it's not fair to him, man.
0: Dude, everything that you're saying right now, I'm gonna play I'm gonna play you the clip that I was talking about earlier
2: off air, and you're gonna laugh. Alright. Well, if I see Cam the Ram media's allowed down on the field for the last five minutes, if I see Cam, we'll go give him a little hug. Only if we're
0: winning. If you hug that Ram and we're losing. I swear to it's God, not the next Cam's time Cam's fault. See you, Come on, now. No. All
2: right. Yes it is. <laughs> At JG Buffs asked. Why do CSU fans genuinely think they are getting in the Big Twelve? That's probably a question for CSU fans, but <laughs> I would think uh, this new stadium, I guess. Um, I honestly think they do have. I don't know if they're gonna get in, but I think they have an outside shot.
0: And why wouldn't you think that you're? Gonna they don't, get in? Tyler. They're not getting in. the Big I mean, 12. I hope you're right, but I, if I was them, I would. Why would you not hold out hope for that? I mean, I would be. So I mean, I don't really fault them for. Don't you enjoy going to bowl games? If you're a CSU fan, yeah, well, you know, they're. What are they gonna say? Oh, eventually we'll figure it out, and our recruiting will get better because we're in a Big Twelve but, conference now. It's like, I, you know what? I'm not gonna argue against. I mean, I, I would, would. It would kind of defeat the purpose if they're all like, we have no chance. This is stupid. <laughs> you know. So like, I understand why they're
2: doing it, but, I mean, I hope they don't. All right. Fair enough. Few more topics to get into here before we sign off, and we got to talk about Nelson Spruce and his big game there. Did you see the Hard Knocks? Episode I saw it this producer? morning. I watched it this morning. The last eight minutes are just Nelson a straight Spruce. Nelson Spruce yeah. love fest. It's awesome. Yeah,
0: he, he has to make the team now, even though he got hurt. Didn't uh When was the last time an entire episode was about one of the guys who was on the end of making the team and they didn't make it? It's a lock. I'm confident. Well, he also killed it. Like this, it wasn't just like we're decided that he's going to be relevant. He was relevant. He had like every catch the last quarter yeah. of the game.
2: But he sprains his knee, and that's the biggest concern in terms of his chances of making the team. Yeah, which is weird, because I
0: don't maybe the footage is not in order, but they're talking to him after the game and he looked fine. I mean he wasn't limping or anything. But I don't know. Based on what Fisher said about him being able to play, like a sprained knee's not gonna hold him back. There was definitely no other wide receivers out there that were like making a lot of noise in front of him, so To me, as long as it's not a significant injury that holds him out to the end of preseason, I still think they're going to hold the spot for him. It it sounded based on what they were saying in their commentary that they really want him to make the team.
2: Yeah. It was fun to watch him run around in that football game, and we definitely miss that at CU. For sure. Are we downplaying the significance of of his departure? We love the depth at receiver, but to have a guy like Nelson Spruce that is so consistent as he was, are, are we not... Giving enough credit to the fact that that's going to be really tough to replace?
0: Uh, probably. But I think he was also hurt last year for a decent portion of the season and wasn't his normal self. I mean, we had you know, to alluded to that on that episode, too. Gruden was talking about how he played hurt. Um, and if he seems like somebody, always steps up for us at wide receiver in one way or the other. We don't have a Nelson Spruce, but I think the committee type effort, there's more options out there, which, you know, for him, it was, especially with Shea, he definitely hurt last year. They're just going to guard him, and that's that. I mean, now now someone's going to be open on the field on almost every play because you have three or four guys
2: that you feel really confident in. Even though Nelson didn't get drafted, I think all of us that watched him at Colorado knew that this was a kid that was yeah. going to get into camp and turn heads and prove that he should have been drafted. Now, Kenneth Crawley, we were probably all thinking he's not going to make an NFL team based off what we saw in his college career, but they've had some injuries in the secondary there with the Saints – and he's been running with the first-team defense, and I read an article out in New Orleans earlier today that said, basically, the chances of him making the team are better than him not making the team at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think we, so based on how he played at CU, I think he, most people would have said he didn't have a chance, but based on his measurables, I think a lot of people thought that he was going to get drafted, because it's what the NFL loves. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the more surprising. Nelson, watching those highlights, it was so funny, it was just like, this is what everybody who's a CU fan has been saying exactly what he was going to do, the exact routes he was going to run, how he's going to get open, why he's good at what he does. It's exactly, you know, he put him out there and he dominates all the guys who are in at the end of the game. Crawley, um, he had four picks in a row and he picked off Brees four days in a row. That's usually a good way to make a roster. Um, so, I mean, I'm happy for him. I hope it works out. I mean, it's not like I'm like, Oh, what a joke. The saints are, you know what I mean? Like I want him to make the team. Um, but it's it's more surprising, definitely. But it it says a lot about everyone. You know, we, a lot of people made fun of. See, you had no guys drafted, and we were all like, dude, someone's not doing the right research, or they're just talk. They're just using the fact that the program has been down not to select guys. And I think we're, you know, I think the NFL is starting to figure that out. Like they just didn't give
2: guys a chance for not much reason. And Stefan Nembot, I think, will maybe find a, a home on that practice squad for the yeah. Ravens. I I think kind of would be somebody's. Tr- Yes or somebody's. Yeah. Uh, Jared Bell's out there with the Forty Niners. Of course, I don't think anyone's expecting him to make that that final roster. And then Christian Powell got picked back up by the Steelers again. I mean, he this was a guy that got passed up his senior year at CU, so yeah. can't expect him to make an NFL team. Am I forgetting anybody that's still running with an NFL roster right now? Well, that left last year.
0: Yeah. No, nobody that left last year, but guys previously. I mean, I, that same article they were talking about Dresher, right? Trying to make the Saints again as well. But, I mean, we'll see. I, I think if we get two of those undrafted guys, that would really make a statement that they, they really
2: deserve to be to get a chance, especially Nelson, obviously. All right, Tyler, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is more likely to happen in 2016-17, I guess? Colorado's football team wins six games, goes to a bowl game, or the Buffalo's men's basketball program goes to the Sweet 16? Sweet 16.
0: Um... I really like what the football team is doing. They're definitely the best they've been in a long time. They're going to have to go 6-1 and one probably at home to make a bowl, and they would have to win four conference games. That's a big jump from one conference game last year for me. A little too high. Um, I, I legitimately think that the basketball team could make the Sweet 16 this year. Um, once you get into the tournament, anything is possible. It's all about matchups. We've gotten a little bit unfortunate with those the last couple years. It's bound to come around at some point. Um, I don't know if I'd say either of them are extremely high odds, but the basketball would be more likely for me. All
2: right. And then I want to set the Buffalo Heart Award winner odds for 2016. You said you've only got one guy on your list, which surprised me because I've got three. Um, yeah, so if it was up to me, Seffo
0: would win, that um, there wouldn't even be any other option. Um,
2: so he's but, like, a, like a plus 190 or what? No, he's like, there or a minus it's 190. Off, it's off the
0: board. Okay.
2: Guaranteed okay. win, um, but I'll but I'll
0: play along with the game. Obviously, Cheeto would be up there, pretty pretty high for me, um, and then I would probably have like
2: uh, ooh I don't know. All right, I got Sefo, Sefo Lufau two to okay. one, no, Philip no. Lindsay four to one, and Cheeto Bay four to one. Isn't it like always a senior though? No. That's why I, it doesn't have to be. I know it doesn't have to be, but I feel like it's always a
0: senior, which is why Philip Lindsay wasn't really in consideration for me. But, yeah, I think Cheeto and Sefo, there's probably somebody else that I'm missing out there, but I'd be pretty surprised if Cepho
2: didn't win. The way he handled the Davis Webb saga alone almost should make him three-year a heavy th- favorite for that Three-year award. captain.
0: I mean, everybody calls him the toughest guy on the team. I think that's kind of what the whole purpose of the award is, too. Like, to me, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't win. Obviously, if he stays healthy.
2: If he struggles, though, and you've got Cheeto doing Cheeto things yeah, defensively. I just don't see
0: that happening, I guess. Like, I don't think he's going to be bad enough that people will.
2: People turn are pretty on hard him. on the quarterback, man. We'll see. Cephal, win it for me, baby. Jenny Simpson. Jenny Simpson. Got to write this down. Yeah. And Emma Coburn, they both win a bronze medal in Rio. We can't go through this, even though it's a football podcast you'd be remiss if we didn't bring this up because it's pretty remarkable. I for Emma's run, I just happened to be getting my daughter ready for school. We're almost out the door and I see that race is about to start. And was, of course, we had to sit down and watch that. And I watch so many men's sports 20 seemingly 24/7 and one day my daughter was just like, she's 5 years old, and she goes, Daddy, do girls play sports? Because I never see him on the TV. And so it was really cool to sit down with her and have... And she started running around the couches because she was so excited about it. And it was really cool. And, uh, of course, Jenny Simpson really didn't reach her goals in the previous, I uh, think, two Olympics, right? Yes, this is her
0: third Olympics. So, so to even be in contention at that age, I guess, for lack of a better term, is really impressive to begin with.
2: And it, it, at the end of the race, hell. she just screams out. You can hear it on the broadcast, it was... it's. It was significant like winning a gold medal when you consider that no female U.S. athlete had medaled in either of those two sports. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not. Not only did they medal, but they medaled in events that the U.S. has never
0: medaled in at any point ever. Yeah. Uh, That's very significant, incredibly impressive, Um, and they'll go down in the history books forever. I mean, CU distance running has always been obviously legendary and kind of solidified that next step.
2: Isn't it kind of crazy that Mark Wetmore can probably go around Boulder kind of under the radar. I mean, this is like one of the elite cross-country track coaches in the entire world and he's right in our backyard and probably doesn't get the, the credit he deserves yeah i mean amongst that
0: family he does because obviously there's a ton of distance runners in boulder it's like kind of a mecca for distance running and that kind of stuff so i'm sure around town for those people he's very okay. recognizable that's true but, boulder is a very runner yeah, central type city but for the average sports fan i mean no one would know who mark wetmore is and that's you know it's it sucks it's disappointing but it's obviously not as fun to watch um just because it's you know so long and they're doing the same thing but he deserves all the credit in the world, man. I mean, he's built a powerhouse.
2: It's made the Olympics fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Olympics is always a lot of fun. I mean, it reminds me of how much I love to watch these other sports that I don't give any time of day to otherwise. And I think I'm actually going to like try to make a conscious effort to watch some of these things more often, like gymnastics and volleyball especially.
2: You said you're going to get uh, women's volleyball yeah, season yeah. tickets. I, I
0: am going to. Um, it's a sport I really enjoy, and I we did the midnight madness thing at CU for the basketball one year, and it was before a volleyball game, and I went and really enjoyed it. So I think I am gonna. I mean, it's not not a huge financial thing, you know. I think it's like fifty dollars for season tickets, not a big deal at all. And I like the sport.
2: I'm gonna go watch it a little bit more. It's kind of crazy how the women's basketball team. No offense to them, they don't look athletic on the basketball court. It's almost like a mechanical. Mm-hmm type of motion in terms of how they move on the court. Then you go see the women's volleyball team, and they're so athletic. They're diving and getting back up in a blink of an eye. It's pretty incredible the amount of athleticism. And I know it takes different body types to be mm-hmm. good at volleyball versus basketball. It's just kind of anybody that has a bias against like women's sports, go to a women's volleyball yeah, game, no, and you'll be impressed. That's exactly what I would say.
0: I actually like watching the women's volleyball more than the men's. Um, especially the team portion. Of course, because, you do,
2: Tyler. Come on, no,
0: man. it's it's not. It's not that. It's it's actually like just it, just the, like watching the sport. I mean, the men's team volleyball. If you hit it over to one side of the net, that's pretty much it. They all hit the ball with so much power. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You hit the ball in, or you hit the ball out, and that's it. The girls, they just go through so many rallies. It's like really enjoyable sport to watch. So I just really – I mean, that's really as simple as I can put it for me. Well, I think you can
2: make a case that women's tennis might be more enjoyable than men's tennis for the same reason. Yeah, I
0: don't watch a lot of tennis, but I could buy into that as well. I mean, I I think they're already done with the Olympics, so I missed it. But I could make a similar comparison if I watch, like, the French or U.S. Open or whatever.
2: Well, just a couple more weeks till the season kicks off. I think, Tyler, we'll get together in two weeks from now, do our preseason show. We'll give our official win prediction. I'm still – kind of torn as to whether this camp and all the the kool-aid that's flowing there around in boulder is going to affect my my wind prediction i'm right now i'm leaning towards no but we'll see um and then after that tyler we're going to make this podcast a weekly thing so we're looking forward to doing that thanks everyone for tuning in again we'll be back in two weeks